Hello everyone and welcome to the JNWL podcast. This podcast is geared towards highlighting the HSE profession as a viable and a necessary career path in today's world. We'll be covering everything from how to get started in HSE to examining case studies and world events through the experienced lens of our hosts Leslie Pishri and William Selvis, along with their various guests. Today with us we have two guests, Antonio Delgado and Dylan Kalicharan. Our main host, Leslie Petrie, is a vastly experienced and highly competent HSEQ and process safety management consultant with approximately 38 years of international working experience. Our second host, William Selvis, is an HSE professional with over 31 years of experience in the oil and gas industry with an emphasis on exploration and production. Our additional host for today, our guest, Dylan Kalicharan is a passionate and highly proficient HSE and process safety management professional with over eight years experience in a range of industry sectors, creating a resilient and generative HSE culture. Followed last but not least by Antonio Delgado, who is an HSE professional with 24 years of experience in oil and gas with a vast experience with operators and service companies and operating culture. So to start off, we'll have Leslie Petrie to introduce himself so you all can hear his voice. We'll go through each of our hosts for today and then we'll get into the questions. Good day, Leslie, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Well, a brief introduction. Um, my, my base degree, uh, bachelor's degree is in mechanical engineering. And so my, my career started off um, in that field, um, doing mechanical works um, and fleet management and, and so on, construction of a, a gravel wash plant. Um, so when I got into HSE was through the, um, well, first of all, in manufacturing, uh, in, in an air conditioning manu manufacturing plant, I was seeing about both um, quality and safety but really got into the field of HSE in construction. When I was asked to head um, an integrated management systems um, approach, which is HSE and quality. Uh, so when I got into that um, HSE field in construction, um, then I was went to oil and gas and uh, continued in HSE in oil and gas. Right. I, I also have a master's in occupational health and safety through um, Greenwich University. And uh, I also have a master's in asset integrity management through Robert Gordon University um, out of Scotland. Um, so why I did that is because the occupational health and safety um, to me, it was a lot about people and making sure they, they work safely, but people were still getting hurt because of um, explosions and and things happening with equipment and things. So I felt I needed to do something on that side. And that's why I looked at the Masters in Asset Integrity to help make sure that people don't hurt from equipment and from explosions and things. So that's a brief overview, as it says, over 38 years in international experience working for many um, international oil companies um, 
in, in, in Trinidad and in Kuwait and, and different parts of the world. So I'll hand over to um, William. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon. Um, well, William Selby, uh, industrial engineer with master in, in HSC. 31 years experience um, in oil and gas. Um, I can say that uh, from day one in my in my career, I was totally directed to HSE. So from day one, I have been working in Venezuela and Kuwait, basically uh, with different operators. And my last uh, work experience was with uh, Floor in, in Kuwait also for the huge uh, project, new GC32 project in, in Kuwait. Uh, but um, my experience has been mostly in industrial hygiene. However, I have been focused also in some areas like safety, emergency response, uh, HSC system. So I have been 31 years of experience, the opportunity to, to uh, learn about different areas in, in HSC that we will elaborate later on in this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great, great. And that's our two main hosts, William Selvis and Leslie Pitchering. Following these two, we're going to have Dylan and Antonio introduce themselves. So, Dylan, how are you? Good, good. Thank you, Nikosi. And a uh, great introduction, uh, Leslie and uh, William. So, uh, I am uh, Dylan Calitron, a Canadian uh, registered safety professional. I uh, have been in the health and safety field for just over eight years. And the reason why I chose the health and safety field is because there is a self-fulfilling satisfaction in ensuring the safety and health of uh, employees in the workplace and making sure that each one of them go back home at the end of the day safely and healthy to their families with no harm, right? That's the main reason why I chose health and safety as a career. And it has been uh, that way for the past eight years. I uh, started off uh, working uh, as a graduate in training uh, in an ammonia manufacturing plant. So got in there, uh, management systems were well developed and I was quite able to learn from that uh, particular ammonia manufacturing plant. Eventually moved across to a methanol uh, manufacturing facility where I was the lead safety representative for that particular uh, methanol manufacturing plant. Um, from, from, from that facility, um, I was uh, challenged to lead the construction and commissioning of a greenfield project, a brand new uh, methanol plant uh, together with dimethyl ether. And again, it was quite an experience to, to learn from the greenfield stage to brownfield stage and then actually into commissioning. So um, with, with, with that petrochemical uh, experience and con some construction experience, I have now moved into the transportation and logistics in industry where I can uh, apply what I've learned uh, over the course of the years and make uh, the transportation and logistics in industry um, a bit more productive and a bit more effective. But uh, that's it in a nutshell, and I look forward to speaking with you guys further. Great, thank you, thank you. And Antonio, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm not very used uh, Nicosi, to 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 podcast, so I, I, I hope I don't disappoint. My name is Antonio. Delgado and I, I, I want to be, uh, I want to say thanks uh, for the team of JNWL for the invite. Uh, I am, I know it's a very, a very tall order after listening to William, Leslie, and and, and Dylan. Uh, 
I see myself as a as a professional Boy Scout, and uh, you know, from a very early age, I you know, I did I did what a lot of young boys did, you know, join the Boy Scouts and trying to help uh, people and care for the environment and all this. But I really wanted to be a lawyer or a military, you know. I, you know, I had to, <laughs> yes. and, um, and, uh, and and I received a, a scholarship from the Venezuelan government to study to study abroad. And so that that ruled out two things: medicine, military, and the lawyers. So I guess I, I was without a career when I when I actually accessed the university, and uh, and the student advisor said, "But you know, is there is there something? Well, what's your true calling?" And I said, uh, "I'm a Boy Scout." I said, "Well, but we have a program on environmental engineering." So I guess that uh, that was the beginning for me, uh, a very uh, exciting and, and fulfilling. Uh, uh, college experience in a uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts. Um, on my fourth year of university, I uh, I participated in a, in a recruitment drive with uh, with uh, Shell, and I joined uh, Shell in '96 in the, in the Maracaibo operations. So uh, it's been for me for the past 24 years. It's been full um, uh, oil and gas and full HSC working. Uh, had the opportunity to work with. Uh, some big operators, the likes of uh, Shell, Petrobras, uh, Tolo Oil. And at the same time, I also know the other side of the equation, which is uh, the service companies. I've worked uh, with the Baker Hughes of this world, with the Merce Drilling of this world, and uh, more recently working with the Kuwait uh, Drilling Company in the, in the community of the Gulf. You know, grateful to be here, and uh, uh, please take it. <laughs> All right, mm -hmm. great, great. So everyone, welcome to the JNWL podcast with Leslie Petrin Williams Selvers again, and our two guests for today, Dylan Kalichiran and Antonio Delgado. Here at JNWL, here at the JNWL podcast, we have a couple things to get started with. We would like to introduce HSE as a profession, and we would like to sort of highlight the path that one would take to get from, let's say university degree to experienced professional. As I said at the top, we're going to go through the different stages along with looking at real world events, case studies, the own personal experience of our hosts and our guests. So today we're going to start with a question. What were the main challenges you faced when starting a career in HSE? William? Well, um, <clears throat> My my personal perception when I started in HSE was to initially understand how crucial was my role to convince people around me uh, to think in a preventive way to understand the message that I wanted to transmit and to explain how important it was to uh, go to the field or to be in contact with many risks or hazards and uh and go back home without any injury no? so uh, that was my main challenge that was my um, main concern how to uh, uh, get that kind of um, knowledge to convince myself initially and then convince people that what i was want, I was trying to to explain to 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 give was important for them that is my main child. Well, I remember 31 years ago when I 
started with HSC. You say 31 years ago, like it was such a long time. That fly, that time fly very fast, you know, William. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <definitely. laughs> Anyone else? Feel free. Feel free to take it away. Yeah, I, I think that um, I want to take back some some context first of all, and and uh, impinging on what um, Antonio would have said that that he did a, a degree in environmental engineering. So. So there are different um, aspects of HSC, right? So there's, there's the health, there's the safety, there's the environment. Um, and when you're dealing with, with processes and things, there's what you call process safety. Um, also, as William would have said, there's, there's the prevention side. So I like to think a bit of a, of a bow tie. We have, we have in HSC what you call um, bow tie technique, right? And in the bow tie, if you think about the bow tie around your neck, on the left-hand side of the bow tie is the prevention techniques. And on the right-hand side of the bow tie is the mitigation, meaning if an event happens, how do you um, prevent it from escalating? So on the prevention side, as, as, a, as a safety professional is trying to convince people um, to work safely so that they don't injure themselves. Injure meaning they don't get hurt um, by the activities or when they interact with the equipment um, and so on. And on the health side, health means that they, they don't adversely impact their health, right? So the health meaning that their, what I like to think, their, their internal well-being, so their, their lungs, their central nervous system, um, their their brain, their their their, um, their blood, right? Because you can't get impacted from your health um, if you expose yourself to chemicals or to noise or what we call ergonomics. I mean, William is the expert in in this area, so I leave him to discuss more of that more. And then on the environmental side, is that you don't want to impact the environmental environment negatively, meaning that um, whatever work that you're doing, you try to minimize your impact on the environment in terms of waste, in terms of the air that we breathe, in terms of the water we call, and as well. So Dylan and Antonio could talk about those things more because that's, that's their expertise. And on the right-hand side of the bow tie now is if an event does happen, if for example, there's a fire or, or somebody does, get injured is how you respond quickly enough so that it doesn't escalate and, and, and go into a major event. So all your fire protection systems, your medical response systems, um, your first aid, and then your, 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 your further treatment care after that, your paramedics into your, your hospital care and so on. So there's the right-hand side of the bow tie, which is your emergency response type people, um, which is a, which is an aspect of HSE. And on the left-hand side of the bow tie, you have your health, your safety, the environment, and then your process safety now is making sure that your processes and the equipment um, are operated within what they call the operating envelope and that um, they, they don't negatively impact people. Because if somebody just stretch too much or if the equipment is in, in such a way that um, and it's not easy to tell 
whether to turn the valve the left or the right because there's no proper marking, there's no indication to show that the valve is not open, that it is closed. You know, there are many, many things that, that could go wrong when people interact with equipment. So there's the left-hand side of the bow tie as a HSC professional, and there's the right-hand side of the bow tie as a HSC professional. And you can be in health, you can be in safety, you can be in environment, you can be in emergency response, or you can kind of be general overall, um, and so on. So, so all of these are, and, and, and as William says, part of the challenge is trying to convince people because in, in HSE, we use persuasion as a technique, right? We have to persuade people to work safely. And we persuade people um, through, first of all, compliance and legislation saying that leg legally these are the things they have to do and there's also based on risk you try to explain to people well look you can get hurt or you you can impact the environment if you do it this way and, and, and to do it safely um, these are the kind of measures that need to be done uh, and so there are different techniques that you could do to try to convince people and I always say, based on if you look at our website and our, our motto, is HSC through people. And once we get people to value HSC, um, to me, then you win because then people work safely without you even being there because it becomes a value to them. And as, as Dylan said, that um, once they realize by working safely, they can go home safely, they continue to hug up their, their, their family, they could hear them, um, and they're not, they're not going home injured, they're not going home hurt, they're going home with all their hands, all their fingers. I remember a, a guy in a company that we still worked with, he said, um, HSE, you all don't do anything, you all don't do anything. I said, well, how you could say that? I say, you have your two hands, you have your two feet, you, you came home, you, you came to work today, you went home safely, you drive, you, went, you drive home safely, I, I mean, everything it, we we done was done safely. So, how can you say we do nothing? And after that, he, he couldn't answer. Right. So, this this is the point. This when, when a good day for us is when everything works safely and and nothing happened. No adverse. When we say nothing happened, no adverse um, events where people get hurt. No incidents. So Correct. people get hurt or, or or we don't impact the environment. Then we know HSC had a good day. Unfortunately, some people feel, well, we don't need HSE, but I, I, I think that is, that is a misnomer. The, 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 the more people work safely, the more you need HSE to be there. Keep reminding them, keep reminding them all the time and, and getting people to, to work safely. So. Right, yeah. right. Anyone else want to take this, want to take this question? What were the main challenges when starting a career? I think I think uh, Leslie Leslie brought across some good points and uh, great reference in using the bow tie Leslie um, the left side the right side and one of one of the things that I did um, and and a lot of HSC professional use is the right side of the bow tie you know uh, learning from previous incidents uh, you, you you learn from Texas City disaster you learn from uh, the Macondo you learn from the Bhopal disaster and to to try and you know harness those consequences and uh, drive that message home to the guys, you know, out on the plant, out on the field. This is why we need to take safety seriously. This is why we need to focus on the left side of the bow tie. 
This is why we need to put preventions in place because these are the possible consequences. And like Leslie rightfully mentioned, not because an incident did not happen, doesn't mean that it cannot happen in the future, right? And it's all about the mindset and it's all about value and safety, right? Valuing uh, why, why we work safe, right? And wanting to work safe, right? And it's all about changing the mindset, but uh, it has been a major challenge. Um, I mean, I agree, but uh, learning from consequences, learning from previous uh, accidents and driving that message home is key to getting that buy-in uh, for any junior HSC professional. Yes. Nico, say, uh, and, and my colleagues, I, I, I think Leslie uh, touched into, he, he hit the nail on, on the head when he said persuasion. And I said like, oh, now I have nothing to say. Because <laughs> Because it is all about persuasion. I mean, the HST is the science of persuasion. Correct. If, I mean, you, if you can, I believe that may, maybe, I mean, going back to, to, to your question, because you're talking about the main challenges and, and uh, maybe the, the HST professionals need to become, uh, with all, I mean, with all due respect to, to all the professions, they need to become uh, uh, expert salespeople before mm -hmm. they go into HSE because it is. I mean, HSNE is the science of, you know, of convincing and persuading and encouraging and motivating and rallying people, you know, to follow a message that you're trying to give. Uh, and, and, it, and, and there lies, the, there lies the, the, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge. Interviews that I have participated, you know, recruitment interviews, but, you know, back in the days, they, the recruitment uh, panel say, uh, so Mr. Delgado, how i mean what is it that you would do in order to convince the board of directors of such and such company to follow your ideas and, and there lies the trick i mean the the the, the answer uh, i have bits and pieces but i don't have the final answer it is a real a real science to be persuasive on hsme and uh and 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 the the uh one of the main challenges going back to nicos's question uh when starting the career in hsme uh, I don't want to be simplistic about it, but it was, I was a young guy uh, with a lot of ambition and a lot of uh, energy and, and enthusiasm. And I, and I landed in a, in a, in a, in a company with a rather uh, monster organization, you know, and, uh, and I had to, it was very difficult for me to learn my place because I had uh, many colleagues at, at various, uh, you know, at various positions in the company that had been around for 15 and 20 years. And I had been, uh, you know, four hours since the since the HSE induction, and uh, and I didn't know what H2S was. So, uh, so I think I had to I had to be a little bit, and, and we all HSE professionals need to be a little bit humble and and understand the context, understand the organization, and learn from the people that have been there for you know for a long time. I I, I never forget the the the, the story of the. My bag of oranges. I'll, I'll tell you the story about my bag of oranges. I, um, out of my own initiative, I wanted to, you know, the, call, uh, catch the attention of the of the company. So I bought myself a bag of oranges because when you do when you do um, uh, oil spill exercises, uh, sometimes they say, well, one orange, one orange is one bottle of oil. So I took the boat to the main production uh, platform in the middle of Lake Maracaibo, and I. I I did it in cahoots with, with some people on shore, but I had not told many people about it. So I dumped the bag of oranges in the lake 
And then I grabbed the I, I grabbed the walkie-talkie and I started, you know, uh, this is an exercise, this is an exercise, this is an exercise. We have an oil spill. <laughs> and then obviously all hell broke loose. The general manager called in and he said, call off that exercise. And uh, and I could only I could just see, you know, the bag. I mean, I could just see all the 500 oranges just swimming away into the distance. I never saw them again. And uh, but but it taught me a lesson. It taught me that you know, understand the context, uh, learn to respect you know what other people are doing, understand the organization, and then become that, per that persuasive person that we need to be. And and then you'll get to go places. But not don't try to go there and, and by imposition try to do something because you know you'll get nowhere. And that I guess that's my take on on arriving in the in the oil industry. Right. Right. It sounds like um, when you are entering uh, an organization in the early stages of your career, a lot of what it takes is um, what you would call social engineering, where you're trying to get people to buy into certain ideas or certain processes and then having them adhere to them over a period of time. Uh, that seems like something that I actually deal with as well in my, in my field, um, brand strategy. Uh, so I, I see that whole um, trying to be a salesman of sorts of your ideas. I get that. I get that quite a lot. Uh, Antonio, you touched on something there uh, with regard to learning when you enter um, when you enter a workplace. So as a junior HSE professional, what are some techniques to adopt in the workplace to maximize your learning potential? Hmm. Well, uh something that I used when I when, when I was a, a junior person, I, maybe I didn't use it at the beginning, but you definitely learn it that uh, quick, is to understand what you're supposed to be doing in an organization. Uh, mind you, you might land in an organization that has the necessary structure to hand you over a job description, and then two weeks later, give you your objectives and targets for the year. If that is the case, then obviously you have you know you you have achieved a lot but you might also find yourself in a place where you are not quite sure what your job description is or what the expectations of the that the organization have of you okay so i believe that it is very important you know especially when you're trying to keep your eyes on the price to understand what you're supposed to do and i always and i always do it uh, as a as a matter of a routine now you know a person joins first order of business this is your job description and these are you know these are the objectives and targets that i expect you to to work when people have a north if i mean if you are a navigator and you have and you have a north and you have a compass in your hand you need you you, you know where you need to go the problem is to be lost in that sea of uncertainty so uh, my message uh, or what my contribution would be job description objectives and targets that you will demand of the organization now in terms of in terms of what will make you successful uh, as i said before you know learn the context understand understand and learn from the people that that, that, that have been there uh, uh, keep your word you know keep your word especially on the things that you need to deliver a lot of people uh, a lot of people will say Oh, I'll give you this. Uh, I'll give you this uh, two weeks from now, and then obviously two weeks become four weeks, and then oh, no, you're fashionably late. No, I mean there is nothing. 
there is nothing fashionable about being late. So let's, you know, it is important that we are that we are punctual, especially you know when we're starting and and, and, all, and all eyes are on you. Right, right. Yeah, I think that. Um, well, I mean, I, I have worked in many different organizations, right? That was uh, a, a career choice. It was it was a deliberate strategy um, in my professional development to work in manufacturing, work in construction, work in oil and glass, oil and gas, and, and so on. So it was a it, it was um, a career strategy to try to get as much experience in a wide variety of um <clears throat> of organizations and, and different types of of work what what i found in getting into an organization a new organization um is to try to understand as antonio said you need to understand the the, the culture right you need to understand the culture and where the culture is at in terms of hse right um and then once you understand that then you you could kind of plot a roadmap forward and where you want to go right why i'm saying that is that um so for example some people may come from uh, an, an ioc right a national international oil company let's say they come from bp and they come to work in a state enterprise and right away they want to bring the BP systems and, and, it, and it's not going to work because you're going to have a clash in the cultures there. You need to understand where the HSE culture is at and, and you get that through talking to people, um, trying to, to understand what, where, where, what, what they did well in the past and what needs in improving, right? And then trying to understand that um, trying to understand what kind of incidents they've been having, um, where are the gaps in terms of how they control work, where are the gaps in terms of how they they keep the equipment maintained, how they treat the environment, right? Once you understand that, um, then you could start to build your way forward where, where you want to go. Um, the other thing is that, um, to me, HSE, is it, it's a progressive approach, right? Uh, in that, what I find happening in in the the world or, or the profession of HSE is what I call a scattershot approach. Some people would get up in the morning, they take in a bath and they have an idea and they say, "Come on, let's do BBS," or they have an idea, "Come on, let's do safety culture survey," and and you, and you find that it's all over the place which to me is not the, the, the best, right? And, or somebody might come and say, well, we used to do um, near misreporting in the whole organization, so let's do that, you know? And, and you find HSE people jumping all over the place. What I found is that um, you should have a roadmap and you should develop where you want to go and you take time to, to, to develop that HSE um, um, work, right? If you say, okay, we need to start with compliance, start with compliance, build the system around making sure you're compliant with all the legal, all the legislation, whether it's the health and safety environment. Um, if you are an oil and gas operator, you have a license to operate through the Ministry of Energy, 
um, you need to build that that foundation and make sure you, that you're compliant. And then you start to say, okay, what are the type of incidents that you're having? And then you work on reducing those incidents and you're putting systems in place to reduce um, people being injured. Uh, once you start to realize that, um, and you know, William, this was the approach we did when we were in the Middle East. When you, when you realize, okay, people not getting injured again, then you start to build, okay, how can we reduce at-risk behaviors? How can we reduce people getting impact by health? How can we reduce? And you start to build those systems and you start to gradually, gradually build that HSE foundation in all the different systems and approaches. Um, because at the end of the day, I always say that um, any kind of management system, any kind of procedures that you, de that you develop, any kind of training that you do, all your risk assessments, all those things are geared towards getting people to work safely. And what, what I do like is this scattershot approach where people just get up in the morning and say, well, you know, I was in the bath and I was soaping and I have this idea and so come, let's do that, you know, and you end up as a HSE professional being all over the place um, with nothing really being effective, right? To me, the effective approach is doing things gradually and progressively um, making sure that you build and build and build like a foundation. You build and build on the foundation, then you build your structure, then you put in your roof, then you put in your wood, just like that. It's, it's all about that progressive approach. One step at a time. Yes, one yeah. step at a time. Yeah. Um, I would like to add that more than technique, when a junior pro HSC professional is starting his career, uh, he should adopt some strategies. No? Strategies, I mean, from where can I get quickly some knowledge that allow me to Correct. reach the level the company is expecting to me to perform. Uh, and, and I had a very short uh, uh, period of time with BP, but I, I found after I left PDVSA that there are some companies that they have everything done. You, you 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 join the company and i was so shocked when i heard that for example bp had before a procedure for people working in the middle of the north sea operator one operator working there what are the risks the, the, the consideration for people working in uh, night shift in the in, in the north sea so the the main challenge or the main study in my opinion for for junior hsc professional is you need to understand where you are. You need to see where are the opportunities to reach the level as soon as possible that company is expecting in the, in the, in the level that company is expecting you to perform. And um, I, I can say that there are so many sources, there are so many opportunities with people, experienced people inside the company. Um, as uh, Antonio mentioned before, and Leslie, lesson learned that you can get a lot of information about what happened in the past. For example, in our experience in, in, oil, in, in, in Middle East, Leslie, you can remember, we dealt with situations that for us uh, were totally new because that was the first time we heard about that. But okay. when we went to the uh, previous incidents, is it that that kind of incident was repeating every certain period? So, 
So we say, wow, we are not discovering something new. This is something happening that nobody took the time to analyze uh, trends, trends or incident trends and say, guys, uh, we are having the same situation every, every, every three, four years and, and nobody took the time to, to analyze this and, and go deeper and, 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 and say, the problem is not the system, the problem is people in competency or the, the problem is we are not going deeper in the incident investigation. So for, um, for a junior HSC professional, somebody as uh, you mentioned before, guys, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, opportunity to um, explore new initiative or new ways to do things. Uh, it's a wonderful chance for them to apply what they learn in the university and, and, and put in practice on statistic tools or or uh, simple uh, well uh, Antonio mentioned something that HSC is a science of persuasion but HSC also is something so simple that the first point should be common sense in, in some in some cases so common sense is definitely the, the the first rule to apply when when we want to improve our situation or we want to understand something that's happening in our work environment this is more or less good yeah. good yeah um i i think i can share one of my uh, best learning experience and uh, back in the days when i started the graduating training program right out of university um, I joined the, the ammonia manufacturing plant and I, I joined a six month training program, the process operated training program. So three months was in classroom, three months was out on the field learning the ammonia plant, equipment, lines, how the process actually worked. And post that six months, that has been the best learning experience for a junior HSC professional at that time because I was able to build good rapport with the operators, the managers, the supervisors there. And I was able to also speak the same language that these guys also spoke. And having that knowledge and taking that knowledge into studies such as hazards, environmental IDs, um, sales studies, you know, harnessing that particular knowledge was quite good for a junior agency professional. So one good advice I'll have is if, if, if any HSC professional has the opportunity to get into a training program that trains them on the actual process at an early stage, I think is going to be highly beneficial to them because uh, this is where you learn the actual process. This is where you can contribute directly into the, uh, the operation of the plan, right? Or the process, have you? Second thing I like to also say is find a good mentor. It's quite important for a junior HSC professional to find a good mentor. Um, throughout my career, I've had many good mentors. One is sitting right here, Leslie, um, mentored me throughout many years of my career. So um, find a good mentor, quite beneficial. Right, right, right. It sounds very much like um, HSC is a very, very, very wide ranging profession, a very broad profession even, right. consisting of many different core competencies. So how should the junior HSE professionals approach their development in the HSE field, given the amount of core competencies that there are? So um, that, that, that's a good question, Ecosi. Um, and it's a question that I, I normally get asked. 
so there, there are a number of, of different things, right? So on, on the American side of the, of the border, they have what they call OSHA, right? Um, Occupational Health, Safety and Health Administration, correct? <clears throat> so they have a number of different um, small courses you can do. You can do um, OSHA general safety, you can do OSHA for construction, but also you can do a number of different courses online to deal with excavation, to deal with working on heights, to deal with welding, many, many, many different topics, electrical safety and things and so on, right? So and as William say, um, you need to understand where the organization wants you at and when you come up with a problem, um, yeah, easier now, easier in my time. I mean, in my time, it was difficult, but now you have internet and you have all these online programs and things. And um, you can also just do a quick research or do a quick um, online course in, in terms of um, any topic you want to deal with, whether it's confined space or, as I say, electrical safety or anything like that. Um, on the UK side, there's what you call NIBOSH, right? And in the NIBOSH, um, they also have um, NIBOSH general certificate, NIBOSH for oil and gas, um, and, and different programs you can use if you want to understand the, the, the European side of health and safety. And there are a number of different things. And um, there's uh, what you call OSH Academy. They also on, offer a number of different programs and things um, in, in terms of process safety and different things. So there's a wide variety of, of reference material and training that a safety professional can do in his development. And then there's the, of course, the different um, BSc degrees you can do online to, to get the, the, the qualifications or the knowledge side, the academic side of the um, program. The other thing is that as, as a person coming into my, my introduction was into HSE was in construction, right? And so my advice to people, on, on, unlike Dylan, who was introduction was in, in, in the process industry. Um, so I always tell people, if you really want to get your foot wet in HSE, um, start in construction. Because why I say construction? Because construction always gives you a wide variety of challenges um, for, you, uh, for you to get a deep knowledge and understanding um, in construction because in construction there are many many different things going on at the same time they have moving equipment um, excavations going on working on heights welding electrical um, power tools um, people working above and below and and so many different things happening at the same time that you really need to be on top of your game when it comes to HSC, right? Cranes and things moving over and under and mobile equipment and people walking and <clears throat> and then you have all kind of different levels of people, different levels of contractors. Some contractors are top and excellent. Some contractors, you need to be holding their hand all the time. So any construction, it really, really challenges you as a HSC professional um, to be on your game and and when you're, when you're going out on site and you're walking around, uh, uh, there, there are so many things that you come up to, 
uh, slip trips and falls, cords, and if it's every rainfall, is a muddy surface you're dealing with, excavations full of water, so many different things that, that you really need to be on top of your game all the time um, when you're outside there, um, as in terms of the construction. And then in, also in terms of construction, they have what they call the safety engineering side of it. And the safety engineering side of it is when you're doing the engineering side of the construction, whether it's a plant you're constructing or a building you're constructing, and you need to apply your different codes, right? And, and I don't remember um, well, what both Dylan and, and William, when we used to have to review the drawings and review all the different um, things that come across us, and we need to understand where the, where the different codes are applying, and we have to make sure that the codes are being adhered to, the design basis are being adhered to, and, and we need to um, challenge the, the, the engineering or the, or the design aspects to make sure all the HSE codes are, are applied in terms of the NFPA codes, in terms of the API codes, in terms of the environmental requirements and, and things and so on. So, so there, there's that safety engineering side of it, which is a specialized degree, but it's a very, very nice um feel to be in if that is what you like you, you like the engineering side of it um and then also there's a the feel aspect in terms of the construction and and and, and the com then the commissioning side of it um making sure that that things are done safely and, and in sequence making sure that if you have to purge um if you have to do inventory making sure all those things are done safely and then when you start to operate and maintain, there's also that aspects of, of the HSC where you get into that phase of that kind of routine work, making sure that people are work safely, making sure all your risk assessments are done. And if you have to do what you call your non-routine or your routine task, then making sure that those things are, are managed properly um, through your control of work and your risk assessments and your safe operating procedures and, and so on. So, they're all different facets, as you say, you know, see, they're all different facets of HSE. You can be in health, which is industrial hygiene, which is William's specialty. Um, you can be in that alone. You can be in safety alone. You can be in environment alone. You can be in process safety alone, or you can be in safety engineering, or you can be a generalist. Um, you can be a technical person. You can be a manager person. Um, in, in BPD, you have what you call a champagne glass model. You could decide to go into the technical side of HSE, which is the field I went into. You could go into the managerial side of HSE. So there are, there are so many different facets of, of, of HSE, as I say. It's very broad and, and it's very, very rewarding, a very, very rewarding career, I must say. Um, can I jump in? Sure. Yeah. No, uh, you know, I'm listening, uh, listening back, looking back, listening back to what Dylan was saying before, and then uh, complemented also by the introduction of, of Leslie to, to 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 your question. I was listening to to the, the you know what is the best uh, you know career path, and, and and Leslie said you know you can either there are horses for courses. Some people that are very good at knowing a little bit about everything. And somebody that just wants to know everything about one thing, and that and that's okay. That, that that's why we have subject matter specialists, and why we have 
uh, people that are more on the managerial side and, and coaching people and and uh, doing things uh, on that side, which is equally equally valid and, and rewarding. Then uh, Dylan was mentioning that it would be very rewarding for a for an entry level professional to follow a, a structured training program. And I and I was thinking about some of the challenges that us as HSC professionals uh, have, and, I, and I'll get to my point. You see a person, you see a person doing a specific task, say in the construction in the construction area, and you approach him and you and you say to to him or to her, excuse me, uh, you know you need to work with safety because X, Y, or Z, and then the person looks back at you and say. What gives you the authority? Have you have you ever done this? So now that that's getting to my point. I, I believe that if young HSE professionals have indeed an opportunity to work, actually no, not in HSE before before getting specialized or generalized on HSE to get their feet wet into into these areas where they're going to be providing uh, advice and, and expertise. Uh, and uh, in, in, in my career, I had an opportunity to, to enroll into, uh, into an operations drilling program, basically working on the rig floor and working up in the monkey board and then going down and mixing, and mixing chemicals and fixing mud pumps. And, uh, and, uh, and yes, you know, getting hit on the head, pinching my fingers and, and, and being subject to all these things that we supposedly as university graduates feel that we can prevent so the message is simple as hsc professionals we are very good at uh, at administering uh, judgment on people saying you know you're doing this wrong you're not doing it right but i have to say that not many of us not many of us have been at the other end so it is really very very difficult to appreciate what, what it is over in the other end and i and i figure that that Leslie has probably been at both ends of that of, of that equation, right. which correct. gives you which gives you a little bit of the of the credentials, the, the the credibility and the license to say, don't do that. Why? Yeah, because uh, I remember I fell from there, you know, five years ago, and I, you know, I, I was in uh, I was in physiotherapy for for three weeks in the doctor. Oh, gee, this guy. So he has really been there, and uh, and that's what I have to say about. That. Yeah, yeah, it can it can happen. Not because it hasn't happened, and I keep saying this. Not because uh, incident or an injury hasn't happened for 20, 25 years doesn't mean that it cannot happen. And we Classic. gotta keep driving driving that message home, Antonio. So, good point. Good point. William, your mic is on mute. Eh? If you was going to. Talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have some comments. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, there are so many opportunities when you start in HSC and sometimes the company is defining your your path and you don't have any other option because the company hire you to do a specific uh, job no in that case uh, if you are lucky and the company is providing a very aggressive training program like we saw in Middle East before I also mm -hmm. had the chance my first job it was like a specific a very intense training program for two years to take me from to the basic level to a 
level where I could replace people, experienced people inside the company. So that that's another way to to expedite the process. But at the end of the day, as uh, you mentioned before, um, when we have the chance to explore different areas, we also have the opportunity to identify which one is really the one we feel passionate. No? And then you can explore some other external help or training to to um, go deeper in that in that specific area. So, but uh, at the end of the day, as Leslie mentioned before, there are so many disciplines, so many uh, opportunities to develop our knowledge in HSC. And uh, I was also trying to even uh, put two more that maybe it's HSC systems. You can also, you can go, you can dedicate your effort to HSC audits, for example. And this is a very wide, uh, I, I would say HSC audits and, and, and the opportunity to work in construction. HSC are two very rich experiences because when you are auditing, you are learning about the process, you are learning about hazards, risk, and uh, especially what they are doing in day-to-day -day activities and how can you uh, add value to their operation or to their day-to-day uh, -day, uh, uh, activity. So there are so many areas, there are so many opportunities. Uh, another point I, I want to emphasize is uh, we, we have the chance to learn about the technical aspects, but we need to integrate the technical aspects with legislation. So you can be a very well, uh, very good qualifying professional, but at the end of the day, whatever we do in HSC, the final result has to make click, has to make sense to our uh, clients or to our uh, um, superiors, no? Because uh, you can find a very uh, critical exposure condition outside or, or 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 hazard outside but but you need to analyze the results and, and say uh, based on this uh, are we having a real threat for our people what is the exposure level for the people uh, so knowing all this or having all this knowledge is one point and the inter interpretation of all these results is also another point it's another another case no? But there uh, are so many areas that we can explore before we decide to go for uh, specialization or we want to be a general HSC professional. William? That, um, yeah, I think that uh, because I know we, we keep saying HSC, HSC, but we're not really saying um, what each of the fields mean, right? Um, yeah. So I remember William. Um, when we were in the Middle East, we kind of split. Um, I, I did like safety and process safety, and you did um, health and, and industrial hygiene. And I was always amazed at um, the, the like the noise studies that you, that you did and so on. Um, so I, I don't know if you want to kind of explain from your side the, the occupational health and industrial hygiene. Because to me, uh, uh, a safety if you think about just safety, safety is like you could trip, you could fall, 
you could bounce yeah. ahead, you know, it kind of like, as, as you say, common sense, you know, we can, we can kind of see it real obvious and thing, but, but as you say, um, to calculate, um, the exposures in terms of chemicals, understanding the safety data sheet and the chemicals and the exposure and exposure levels, um, which is, which is more, I think, and the noise and, and understanding which, which, um, scale you use in terms of decibels and then i don't know between antonio and and Delon, the environmental always have people i'm not an environmentalist i i understand also the environment but i'm not an environmentalist in terms of the impact on the um <laughs> the, the different things removing we used to do the water um analysis um and all the different impacts on the and the what is called the TPH and all those different things, you know. So yeah, yeah, all of the parameters. You could, you could yeah. get into a little more of what is environment, and and William, you could get in a little more what is occupational health and industrial hygiene, so people can yeah. understand the that career part. Yeah. Um. When we talk about HSC, um, and we we try to explain people about HSC. By the time we start talking about industrial hygiene, people sometimes they don't they don't get the point because the consequences in HSE are mostly long term in long term. No? So if you expect people having uh, hearing problems, unless he has a, an accident, an occupational health accident, I mean somebody in front of a compressor or there is an explosion and the guy has a per, per, uh, uh, damage immediately in his hearing system. Uh, other than that, the people will will have to be exposed to noise for a long period to see the consequences. So, so when you are dealing with your clients or with your co-workers, uh, they mostly pay attention to events generating immediate consequences for them. That is the point. When you are talking about industrial hygiene, uh, you have to explain people that the frequent exposure to a specific stressor will generate some consequences in your health, in your body after some time. And that is the, and sometimes it's the beauty of the industrial hygiene because you can find a way to explain people that after, after uh, several uh, years of exposure that will happen to these workers, or you can try to persuade, as Antonio said before, people that using hearing protection, that that um, using the proper PPE, respiratory protection, for example, or the proper glove, will stop the penetration of toxic substances in their, in their body. So the the job of the industrial hygienist sometimes is is really tough it's really complicated to tell people guys if you don't do it today you will not see any consequence today or next week but after two or three years you will regret your decision made today no? that is the point um as i mentioned before um there are so many uh, barriers or level of protection depending on the hazard. Uh, let's mention before, if we are dealing with noise, with vibration, uh, ionizing radiation that also is important as let's mention in, in construction. Um, 
you you have to understand the risk. The the problem sometimes is when the co-workers or the clients understand the risk, you can create in some cases the opposite reaction or the opposite uh, benefit. For example, uh, I remember people dealing with uh, ionizing radiation in, in, in checkpoints and after receiving the basic information about why you have to conduct inspection or verification, people sometimes decide to stay away from the source or stay away from the from the equipment or or, or. so uh, it's, it's information that sometimes you need to transmit or divulgate in a very effective way to create the the, the, the correct reaction and the correct uh, me preventive measures to avoid exposure but uh, yeah only in, in the industrial hygiene we can talk about so many stressors uh, heat stress, you can talk about radiation, ionizing radiation, um, vibration, uh, chemicals, uh, so many, and each one has a specific equipment for the assessment, a specific uh, standards, uh, units, and uh, definitely if we, go, we talk about ergonomic, it's another area that some people, they can be fully dedicated to ergonomics and enough to to do for ergonomics in offices in in the, in the field also so yeah uh, it's a it's a wide uh, career just only talking about industrial hygiene It's a good point you uh, brought up there, uh, William, in terms of uh, information and uh, getting getting people to understand why, you know, why we need to put things in place to try and prevent occupational diseases, because a lot of the IH uh, hazards aren't visible to the eye. You know, uh, you can't you can't see it as opposed to occupational safety. You can see the hazards, but uh, in my experience, uh, you tend to see a lot of communication, a lot of information to get the buy-in to the uh, employees is quite important and driving home the IH side of the house, right? Yeah. Yeah, good. I think in uh, in many respects, in many respects, the, 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 the environmental side of the of the equation, it's, it's, a, it's a wee bit similar to, to, to the one in health, because in HSNE, safety, safety dominates. It's the, the, the immediate, uh, the immediate effect of, uh, of, uh, slips trips and falls okay so you right. fail you hurt you know that's safety for you and then uh, all the all the, the the hidden the hidden hazards when you when you when you are looking at occupational health and occupational exposure especially if you're, you're looking at that at the chronic diseases uh, in, a, in environment is similar but obviously uh, the, the the actual target is not the is actually not the person but the natural environment you know, is the progressive accumulation of contaminants into a specific area, or the accumulate the the, the, the cumulative impact of activities in a in a in a specific uh, uh, environment, and then obviously the, the short, medium, and, and, and long term effects uh, that you can have on that specific environment. I I want to give it. Uh, I, I want to tell you a very a very short story that, that has to do with a, with a comment that D Dylan made a, a few minutes ago. Because he talked about the importance of of having a, a mentor, you know, giving obviously very very well deserved credit to to Leslie. 
but it is it is the different and, and 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 the message for the guys out there you know the young professionals uh it is the difference between night and day if you have someone if you are if you are under the wing of someone when you are at the workplace and uh and i wanna uh, and i want to uh, i want to link it to the to, to the new subject that, that we're discussing especially uh, uh william uh talked about uh the the very misunderstood uh, science of uh, ergonomics and i had the opportunity to i had the opportunity to spend uh, the best part of one month with a, with an expert uh, industrial hygienist uh, in uh, in venezuela going throughout all the various areas and i tell you you know I, at the end at the end of, of 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 that experience going to operational bases and offices until today you know 20 years later i still i still call myself a not an not an ergonomic expert but uh, but i i can probably talk my way through an ergonomic uh, awareness and and provide coaching and do the whole setup of a workstation and uh, and it is exciting and it is true it's not it's not uh, it's not you know just putting your finger up in the air and then saying well you know this chair i don't like how it looks you know it is it is actually the, the real deal ergonomics and the mis the misunderstood science of 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 ergonomics and uh and, and on the environmental side i did i did some work throughout the years uh, but very much on the surface you know uh, william talked about you know joining an organization that has every single system every single procedure every single program you know you wonder yourself what are you going to bring what are you going to bring to the table i mean these people have written all the procedures that there are there to be written and i had the opportunity a number of years later into my career to be back home living with my parents and then uh, i received a, a call from a friend that was working uh, for uh, ERM, the, the Environmental Control Consultancy Company. And I had an opportunity to, to go and work and work on, a, on an environmental site assessment, uh, phase one. And, and basically, I went back to college, basically. You know, I was drilling, I was drilling uh, uh, water monitoring wells. I was, catch I was capturing, you know, soil samples and, you know, making representative samples and and analyzing for all those funky parameters that Leslie was making reference to, you know, aromatics and volatile and TPH and so on and so forth. And uh, and I also did this under the wing of an expert environmentalist. So uh, listening to listening to what Dylan said, you know, uh, working with a mentor or learn from someone, I think is very powerful because uh, these are experiences that, that that have made me proficient in 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 two or three or four different areas you know i could talk about you know uh what ifs or, or phas or ergonomics or or industrial hygiene or environmental assessments and then if you ask me how i did it it's like, uh, because i was working with some of the best people in the in the field not because i not because i read the, a book or anything so so for the the young guys uh, you know do benefit from the people that have been there before you say you know, can I just be your shadow? William William talked about an audit. Just go with a guy that has basically worked during 15 years of audits and, and, and ask, you know, can I work with you? And after 
a year or a year and a half, you're like, yeah, I mean, I can, can I, can I be the lead auditor now? And, and that, you know, that, that is the power that, that working with a, with a mentor has. Right, right. This is, it sounds like HSC is a very vast, very deep uh, science. Um, there are many different ways that someone can go. There are many different uh, avenues to get from being a junior professional to someone who is wholly experienced, who would then take someone under their wing. Um, for the final question today, I wanted to ask you guys, if you think it's important to get your master's degree done as soon as possible after finishing your undergraduate degree. I know in some fields, uh, people usually forego the master's after they have done either diploma or undergrad, undergrad degree. Um, and in others, they go into masters and PhDs and whatnot. So what do you guys just take on it after being in the field for, for such a, a long time? Well, let me start, let me say something. Anyone, anyone. My, my personal opinion is that you should explore the different HSC areas before you go for master. The main reason is that you will realize or you will find that there are so many interesting areas that you can uh, um, get, uh, you know, more interest or you can be really impressed with the uh, way they are doing that. For example, uh, if you are in general safety or you are doing personal safety and then you start uh, uh, conducting with some other people, experienced people, has up, or you see people uh, running software like uh, for quantitative risk assessment, or you see people uh, uh, conducting uh, vibration studies, or the point is you need to see what is happening in the field. Another point is for some people, they are so limited to HSC working in offices. So that's not the real HSC work, no? Uh, the experience says that people working in, in office has been people working for a long time in the field and then coming to office to, to consolidate information. They are able to understand exactly the information received from the field. So my, my personal opinion is you should wait at least two or three years. To, to start your master because you need some time to to be more familiar with the with the with the discipline and also to um, learn from other people what they did before and then you can make a decision I, I really want to go for mastering in environment or professional health or uh, safety or process safety management but you should wait yeah yeah that's my suggestion for just graduated in profession i i think that um well well both masters that i have done um to me first of all masters is really applying the knowledge that you would have gained over the years of experience. So I, I agree with William in that you need to um, 
have some experience in the field, even, even if it's just to understand the terminology, you know? Because um, you, you hear us throw out some terms, QRA and hazard planning, and, and if you're not in the field and you're not experienced, um, you, you may get lost in, in just even the, the, the terminology in the field of HSE. And what I have found um, in both masters is that when you interact with your with your different groups, your study groups, or, or you have projects to do, um, you, you feed off each other's experience, right? Um, so when I did my, my masters in, um, in asset integrity management, uh, I was in Kuwait at the time, and my team had somebody was in Abu Dhabi, somebody was in the North Sea, um, somebody else was in Spain, and you found that um, we would share each other's experience, and and we and we fed off of that, and uh, we we kind of complemented each other because we we had that experience in the field, whereas people who if they do the, the bachelors and then do the masters straight after. They it's difficult difficult for them to um, come to the group and participate in that level of, of discussion and analysis and, and thing and so on and and even the um, the, the lecturers. Um, so I, I I remember an example. Uh, I was doing a, a we had a module on project management, you know. And uh, I was telling the um, the group in the forum just like this. We we would we were chatting online, and uh, we would say, um, "I said, well, I remember when I first did project management, there, there wasn't any computers, and I had to do things from from the paper, right? Um, working out, you know, in a forward approach, what would be the um." The duration of each task and, and which task came after the next task, what you call the precedent relationship, and working backwards to work out which which activities would be on the critical part. And I had to do that manually, you know, um, yeah. because it, I didn't, it didn't have computers in those days, you know. And, and I remember the lecturer said, he said, well, then you have the best knowledge in terms of the foundation of project management because when you have a software doing it for you, it kind of spoils you, and you don't, and you and you get you don't get that um, that information. So we we were able to share and compare each other's experiences and things when we get into group discussions, and and you find that people who come from a BSc and go straight to the masters, they they they, they get lost in that level of discussion, you know, in, in terms of being able to participate. It's not it's not impossible, but it's difficult um, for them to grasp the the level of discussion and the terminology and thing that we're using and and and, and around. I think so. That's so I kind of share with what like what William said into. Right, right. Yeah, in uh, there is there is no magical formula. I have to say, right? Uh, I. If I have to, if, if I can make a light comment, maybe I have people that I went to school that are still going to school because they did, uh, yeah, I graduated, uh, I don't know, 20 something years ago. And some of them believe that, uh, and, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not judging. Some of them believe that 
you need to do a master's or two or three plus a PhD. So if you add up all the numbers together, you probably get to close to close to 15, 16 years of study before you get to to do a, to do other stuff. So the, I mean, the, the, there is no magical formula. Some people want to do the the studies, but I am I am with the with the with the the two gentlemen that that spoke before me. Uh, I believe I believe that the only way to be able to 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 grasp that level of of, of conversation and the, and the interaction that takes place and 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 the the, the 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 topics and the context under which conversations are taking place are to right. if you have you know work done the work uh, before at least for some time you know William talks about three years it sounds like a sensible amount of uh, amount of time uh, people. Some people will study for most of their lives, and as I said, I know some of my mates that they're still doing it, and uh, and some people want to test the waters and then go to school, and uh, and I'll give you my personal experience. You know, I I, I think I got uh, I was captured by the beast because I started working, and I liked it. You know, I think it's fascinating, and I have worked and worked and worked, and I have seen glimpses of an opportunity. To, to to advance educationally my career but I have you know I am so devoured by the beast that I just I get captured back into the into the day to day and uh, so there is that there is that additional one the argument the argument of the people that will will do their masters right after their their bachelor's uh, or their you know you know their undergraduate would be you know once I start working I'm I'm not going to be able to do anything else, and, and uh, unfortunately, has been my, my my take. Okay, so no magical formula, but I but I would agree with William and and Leslie. I mean, test the waters, uh, you know, get your feet wet, get some experience, get to you know learn how to do Primavera and Microsoft Project with a ruler and, and a marker like Leslie right. did, and then then <laughs> go talk to the to the professors uh, again. Right. Great. Yeah, um, I will. I will echo the same uh, sentiment. Uh, take some time, uh, get the experience, and uh, one of the things that you want in your master's program is to to really make it an enjoyable program. And one way in which you can make it an enjoyable program is by having that applied knowledge, right? Uh, learning, learning for any junior agency professional doesn't stop when you leave the workplace. Okay, um, if you're really into your career and yeah. You, you're really interested in learning more. Let's say I, I remember my days, I listened to some of the guys speak about crane safety and then boom length and counterweight and shackles and and then and, and tensile strength. I mean, I used to go home and, 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 and research these things so I can come back a bit more educated the next day, right? And in that way, you can increase your learning curve. And by the time, like uh, William rightfully mentioned, after two to three years, uh, you could start your master's and it will indeed be an enjoyable experience because you have so many applied knowledge and, and, and you can relate to a lot of things because a master's program is quite theoretical. Some may be uh, practical based, based on the program, but uh, take some time, take some time, gain the applied knowledge and uh, make your master's an enjoyable program. Great, great, great. And with that, We'd like to end the first episode of the JNWL podcast. I'd like to thank our guests for coming through, Dylan and Antonio. We hope to see you all again sometime soon. Uh, William and Leslie, thanks for thanks for hosting. Thanks for creating this podcast. Um, 
for our listeners shout out to wherever you are you can find us on youtube you can find us on all streaming platforms uh spotify apple music stitcher basically anywhere that you get podcasts we will also have a copy of it on our website jnwlct.com this podcast is brought to you by jnwlct.com jnwl is a company that hosts world-class consultants they are combined to have a hundred over hundreds of years of experience working in a variety of countries industries and cultures uh, and they provide hsc and process safety consultancy hse and process safety training manual and procedure development and online coaching and mentoring they're open for hire so please check out our website we're going to have all this content on the website live we're going to have many articles for you all to read um, we're going to have discussions going on on our linkedin pages and our social and our social spaces so feel free to look up any of these any of these guests any of our hosts we'll have links in the video description below and somewhere on the screen also you can probably click on there and we'll have we'll have some information for you all also so thank you all for listening again and we'll see you every third saturday of the month take care thank you Sorry, um